0: Yankees Files podcast. We are back after a brief hiatus. I'm Will Harris, you're Alec Whipple, and the rest of you are listening to the last episode of season three of the Yankees Files podcast. And Whipple, I don't know about you, I had a great time doing Yankees Files this season, as I always do, but I think it's not necessarily a bad thing that we're putting this baseball season behind us.
1: Yeah, no, I think we... As people are going to realize when they listen to this, we we did not record right after the season ended. I think um, it was one of those seasons that the urge to issue a post-mortem wasn't really felt. And I think that was for mm-hmm. partially because of of travel restrictions on our part, but partially because I think it just was a season that, you know, it ended. And we, we definitely have talked about the way it's ended a few times, but I think we're happy to be ending it's not really any urgency to like make any proclamations. Uh mostly I think what we're gonna talk about is just how we felt about the season, why things might have happened. But uh I, I'm excited for this episode because mostly because it means we're closer to moving to season four and, and an off season that I think will be very interesting. And so I feel like this is almost like the most relaxed, least urgent episode of Yankees Files, just cause Nothing. Yeah. Nothing really. We don't really have to like get anywhere. We're just kind of looking around, checking things out and then closing the book and and it was certainly an interesting book, but I think everyone is ready to move on and I certainly am as well. And I yeah, should say, I think I'm more excited for the Will Harris birthday episode than the actual contents of Yankees baseball right now. So um i've not to not to hijack this discussion but there are a few players who you do share a birthday with we'll see if uh you know we could just take a look here orlando hernandez Please. obviously el duque we all love el duque gio urshela we do we also love gio urshela yankees legends certainly greg Olson is another one
0: greg Olson. greg
1: Olson, former orioles closer and okay I think he was <laughs> not the
0: football player greg olson and not former yankee greg golson No,
1: this is like a, a mid-90s reliever um
0: but of course
1: want to play you might not know him but you will know dimitri young
0: Dimitri hook oh yeah Dimit- i i love dimitri young <laughs> dimitri young is actually a mainstay in my immaculate grids because dimitri young was an all-star with both the Tigers and Nationals. So he's a he's a good, immaculate, grid guy. He turns 50 today. Dimitri, happy birthday. Brother of Delman, not happy birthday to Delman.
1: Not happy birthday to Delman. Here's here's one. Another guy named Will Will White from the early, early days of baseball. I'll, I'll send you a picture, but he has a cool mustache and some monocle a monocle in his uh profile picture on
0: Oh, yeah. I just yeah, looked him so up.
1: There, there we go. There's another will. The last one, Ty Wigginton, uh, classic. Uti- oh, I didn't know that. Classic utility infielder, um, 46 today. And uh, you are not 46, but
0: I'm not 46. How about that? <laughs> I didn't know I shared a birthday with Ty Wigginton.
1: There you go. Huh. That's fun Fun facts in the Yankees file. So happy birthday to you. And as I said on t- uh, Twitter, I hope you get all the bab- BABIP luck that you
0: asked for on
1: this special day.
0: Thank you. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> As I responded on Twitter, that is a hopeless desire, but um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. There's nothing I'd rather be doing on my birthday than listening to myself talk, which is the reason why I created this podcast. And I thank you for doing it for me for another year of my life.
1: I thought you're gonna say nothing more than podcasting with you. Oh, well, also that <laughs> <laughs> it's your birthday, you're allowed to be selfish. That's very fair.
0: That is fair. Uh thank you. Thank you for granting me that grace. So, Whipple, there are a few things I want to cover on this podcast. I know you talked about looking around and talking about vibes and all of that. Um, but I have I've have some things I'd like to cover because as you know from our interactions on Twitter in recent days. I've found that Yankees fans seem not to know what went wrong this year or what is important when it comes to winning baseball games. Have you have you been picking up on that same thing?
1: Just just slightly.
0: So a certain Yankees podcast run by also two dudes who spent a significant portion of their lives in Connecticut. One on which Aaron Boone is often interviewed. I won't be any more specific than that. If you know who this is, fine. If you don't, also fine. They took some time on their season postmortem, kind of insisting to Aaron Boone that the model to follow for the Yankees is the Toronto Blue Jays. That what the Blue Jays did is they got better defensively and they made their lineup more balanced between left-handed and right-handed hitters. And that was their secret sauce. That was the thing that allowed them to win fewer games this year than they did last year and still get swept in the postseason. Am I following that right, Whipple?
1: Yeah, the general gist of it.
0: So I think there are two questions that we can ask. The first question is, were the Yankees all that bad defensively this year? And the second is, Is it true that, as people often insist, lineup balance is uniquely important for the Yankees because of the fact that they play at Yankee Stadium? So to the first question, let's look at defensive runs saved, outs above average, and ultimate zone, UZR. By defensive runs saved, the Yankees were better this year than Atlanta, Houston, Miami, and Philadelphia, among other teams. I'm only listing the playoff teams. By outs above average, they were better than Tampa, the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Twins, the Braves, the Orioles, and the Marlins. The Orioles and the Marlins may have been like 29th and 30th. They were certainly in the bottom four. Um, And by UZR, they were better than Miami, Philadelphia, and Atlanta. So I... Don't look at the Yankees and come away thinking the key missing piece was defense. I certainly don't. Their defensive statistics, in you know, across the board, are competitive with or in the range of you know, in the same range as playoff teams. Like, defense was not the deficiency for this team. The second thing, the second question is, is it true? that as people often insist, having left-handed batters is uniquely important for the Yankees because they play at Yankee Stadium? Well, let's look at WRC+. plus. Is there a persistent advantage for left-handed batters in WRC+, plus at Yankee Stadium over right-handed batters? There's not. And some people accused me of cherry-picking my statistics because... The Yankees have had bad left-handed hitters, so they would bring down things like the WRC Plus or the Park Factor for left-handed hitters. By the way, the Park Factor at Yankee Stadium is also lower for left-handed hitters than the right-handed hitters. But what I did is I did an analysis, and I said, okay, I'll only consider left-handed batters on away teams so as to avoid biasing the sample with the Yankees' bad left-handed hitters. And I won't just look at WRC Plus because that's park-adjusted, and I'm not sure if comparing within the same park, the park adjustment would have some problems. So I'll also look at WOBA and OPS for road left-handed hitters versus road right-handed hitters at Yankee Stadium. What I find for all of the stats is lefties had it better marginally in 2018, 2019, and 2023, righties had it better marginally in 2017 and 2020 through 2022, with righties having a small advantage, one point of WRC+, two points of WOBA, and two points of OPS, across the board. So no, it is not uniquely important for the Yankees to have left-handed batters because Yankee Stadium certainly doesn't provide a persistent advantage for left-handed hitters. And it may in fact provide a slight advantage for right-handed hitters because it completely kills left-handed batting average on balls in play because of the short porch. Exactly. So if you are looking at the Yankees and you're Twitter name rhymes with like stockin bake um and you think that the problem with this team is that their lineup was insufficiently balanced between right-handed and left-handed hitters and their defense was bad you're just wrong so i want to dispel that notion that the problem with the 2023 New York Yankees was anything other than offense and injuries
1: i feel like people say lineup balance when they mean get good hitters and mm-hmm. they don't like yep if because like the you'll you'll point to you'll say like who do you want to get and then they'll say like x or y good lefty hitter. yeah they'll and, say one
0: like, soto right so like
1: <laughs> no like clearly like that's gonna help to me like i think you know the test of your theory is the the all average team you know of righties the all average team of righties and lefties perfectly balanced like if you were gonna run an experiment which you know would never happen you would find out basically that there's no effect and I think it's it's crazy to me that people don't look at Yankee Stadium in a totality like they're looking at the park for the short porch and what it can provide for home runs but their park is so much more than that and it's really a pretty unfriendly right field for left-handed hitters in a lot of ways if you want to just look at pull statistics I mean there's not a lot of ground and so I think we're talking with Ryan Garcia and he pointed this out that there's a lot of weird Babbitt block that goes on out there. When you're not looking at balls that go out of the park, there's a lot of balls that would be down for hits and other places that there's just not the room out there. And left field is, I, I mean, this is like the most simplistic version of this analysis, but like, if that's what do you want to do left field is, ju- you know, it, it's good for right-handed hitters for other reasons. So I think yep. the point is like, There's obviously one factor that helps lefties, but there's also a lot of factors that hurt lefties. And the lineup balance thing clearly comes down to hitters being good or bad. Because if you look at something like the 2019 Yankees, which no one's going to argue that that offense wasn't good. And it was definitely good in comparison to the rest of the league. So taking juice ball out of the equation, that team predominantly relied on righties. And they were very good righties. And that team had a very good chance to make the World Series. And I think no one's going to argue that the optimal construction of that lineup without injuries is a really good lineup. So it's it's just a proxy and it's kind of lazy analysis because to really support the point, I think you'd have to take like, you basically would have to say your league average lefties are better than above league average righties, which like are the people that you referenced in your You know, not so oblique reference really going to make that point. Um, And then I think to your other point about the defense, um, like one part of it comes from you're watching the Yankees every day. And so everything they do is going to seem either really good or probably really bad. But like you're not watching every other team every other day and you don't realize that it's kind of the same, if not better than league average. And I don't get why defense is the issue when there was a lot of defensive highlights for the Yankees in multiple ways. I mean, they had Anthony Volpe was playing a great shortstop. You had Rizzo, even when he wasn't hitting, is playing a great first base. You had a gold glove caliber center fielder. You had Judge in right, who's playing excellent defense. Like, yeah, I get the outfield was a mess because of injury and because of a left field hole, but that still is, again, focusing on one issue and making or one part of a larger picture and making that a proxy for what you think the larger issues are so maybe that's like the takeaway in that the analysis and the reflection we should do like you said should not be based on one observation and then turning that into a proxy for what you think the larger issue is
0: yeah yeah and and we ran into you know people on twitter who (laughs) went so far as to assert that like because the Yankees ended up being bad this year, it was proof that they were bad at everything, which is like, it's just an insane thing to believe. Like, it's it's almost like there are a number of things that go into your baseball team being good or bad. Like, it's, I don't, people are just, it's exhausting.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think like, what was the one interaction I thought was the funniest was when they, um, you were talking about you're talking about teams out homering their opponents in the postseason, which I get is a whole different conversation. And then... The, no, I,
0: wanna, I wanted to get You there, wanted so to this get is a there? a good transition, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think it's kind of largely the same point where somebody said, like, the Angels and the Yankees didn't make the playoffs and they were top 10, or 10 in home runs. And that completely, again, misses the point of, like, they did one specific thing well. And a lot of teams, if not most teams, who did that thing well did well outcomes wise and that was not the reason or it was not the predominant reason they didn't do well and the guy kind of proved his point or your point for him so I can let you talk more about that but I just thought that was a, a funny interaction that kind of proved what you were saying
0: yeah so that, that's exactly exactly so I tweeted and I've been keeping track of the record this postseason of teams that out-homer their opponents. So I pointed out that teams that out-homer their opponents, as of the Rangers' win over the Orioles last night, are now 11-1 and this postseason. And I said someone should alert Sean Casey because we know he doesn't think that's a good strategy. And someone responded, and they had the a screenshot of the most home runs hit by each team this year. And the Angels are 5th, and the Yankees are ninth. And this person said the Angels are surely on their way to the ALCS, right? If not them, then the Yankees had to have made the playoffs. Uh, but the thing about that list is it goes Braves, Dodgers, Twins, Rangers, Angels, Rays, Astros, Phillies before the Yankees. So I quoted it and I said, you know, in effect, it's it's kind of funny that you would show me this list in which six of the seven remaining playoff teams were top eight in home runs this regular season and act like it doesn't prove my point. And then he said some like obtuse thing about home run differential being predictive of wins, which like, yeah, but he just decided that it wasn't causation without any evidence. The bottom line, Whipple, is that since 2010 in the postseason, teams that out homer their opponents are 287 and 77. That is a 788 winning percentage. And I don't know if you know this, but a fact that I happen to know is that every team that has ever had a winning percentage of 788 or better in the postseason has won the World Series. So this is a pretty big sample. This seems like a pretty good strategy to me. And I would recommend that the Yankees orient themselves toward out homering their opponents as they construct the 2024 roster.
1: Yeah. I mean, just watch the postseason games that are going on right now. I think my go-to example like for this postseason is going to be that game two of the NLDS because there is no mm-hmm. way, there is no way in hell that the Braves are going to come back against one of the best pitchers in the league if yep. they w- did not take, uh, well, I guess the second home run wasn't off of Wheeler, but the Darno home run, the Riley home run, four runs on two swings. And I, I read something where uh, essentially Wheeler was pitching really well, and his the only middle-middle fastballs that he basically threw were the ones that got hit for home run. So you're looking at a pitcher who's not making a lot of mistakes and the Braves had to capitalize and they did so in the most impactful way possible. And if they were not able to do that, if they, you know, had hit a single or a double in that situation, they would probably be on the cusp of elimination tonight. So Mm -hmm. like this postseason is proving to be a great example, I think, of the point we're making. And given the teams that are still in it, I think in a few weeks, we're going to have a few more examples. And hopefully those are instructive for the teams looking to improve this winter.
0: Yeah. The Braves had five runs on four hits. They were helped out by a couple of Phillies errors, but the bottom line is they came back in that game by hitting multiple home runs. The Phillies did not hit enough home runs, which is why they had four runs on nine hits. Like it's very simple. The home run is the best kind of hit. You are facing pitchers who don't give up a lot of hits But this is the key. This is the key, Whipple, that I don't think people understand. And they pass it off like it's some obvious thing, but it really, like, home run per fly ball, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: It is basically impossible to systematically outperform the league. In home run per fly ball, Sonny Gray's this year was 5.2%. That was the lowest of any qualified starter. It's also the lowest that he's had in a full season in his career by like a factor of 50%. He averaged, in fact, between 2016 and 2021, 14.9%. So in the same time that his ground ball rate was going down, which means fly balls were going up, his home run per fly ball rate just happened to be really good one year. And that's why his XFIP is 0.8 runs higher than his FIP. Look at the top 10 guys who pitched at least, let's call it 150 innings this year. And we're at the top of the league in home run per fly ball. You get Charlie Morton and his 2.7 fan graphs war. You get Eduardo Rodriguez. You get Miles Michaelis, who had a 4.78 ERA. The bottom line is, it is a lot hard. You get Johan Oviedo in 11th. Are you a big Johan Oviedo fan? Like, the bottom line is... Good pitchers are really good at not giving up a ton of hits, but good pitchers are not any better than bad pitchers very often at controlling whether or not fly balls turn into home runs. That is how you have to score off of them. Regardless of how good they are at keeping you from getting hits, they are not in control of whether or not your fly balls turn into home runs. So people always respond when you talk about out-homering your opponent, well, it's so hard to hit home runs off these guys. No, no, it's actually not any harder to hit home runs off these guys relatively, per fly ball at least, than it is off your typical pitcher. It's just a thing that pitchers can't control. The thing they do control and can control is that it's so much harder to get hits off of them. So given all of these facts that people still, still then come back and say, well, these are the hardest guys to hit home runs off of. No, they aren't. Like the, the bottom line is no, they are not. And I wish people would understand that because it would it would change a lot. If you if you bring it down to a hundred innings, Mike Clevenger had the third lowest home run per fly ball. Kyle Hendricks shows up on that list. Michael Waka, Patrick Sandoval, like Tyler Anderson, these guys are nothing special. They're nothing special. It's it's just it's one of the biggest misconceptions about playoff baseball that home runs are harder to come by because you're facing good pitching. No. Home runs are just as easy to come by As they are against that pitcher on any typical fly ball in any typical game, the hits are harder to come by than they are against the aggregate of pitchers you see in the regular season. So why would you pursue a strategy that says we need to get a lot of hits to score runs when you can pursue a strategy that says, let's make the only thing we care about pulling the ball in the air. Ask the Cleveland guardians how the former strategy is going for them. Sorry, that went on longer than I meant it to.
1: No, that I mean, it's fair. Like, last October, we all, or we, not we, but like the collective we all gushed about the Guardians approach and then they lost that series because they had to face Garrett Cole and they couldn't hit home runs off of him. Yep. And then they lost in game five because they got outscored and outmanaged somehow. But like the point is they could have won – if they had just hit a few more home runs. I mean, yep. both those games were relatively close. And I think the Guardians were kind of reached their upper ceiling. And what we know about home runs for fly ball is that there's factors in it that are lucky and it will normalize, as we saw with Garrett Cole. Like, it's there is, it's basically the most effective strategy to shoot for the home run. And I think it's the least effective strategy to act like pitchers have the skill of preventing home runs so yeah. it's i i agree i don't have to add much more to what you're saying but i think the what i realized when you were talking is that i think the ideal team is like a team that is like bottom half of the league in home runs in the regular season and like top in batting average and then like suddenly in october decides to hit not ideal for like winning purposes but like in terms of like what people want to see like yeah Suddenly in October starts hitting home runs because I don't think the people who say like we need singles and doubles like actually make that argument in playoff games. I think it's like when your team loses, you say that, and in the regular season, you say that. But like you see what wins these games. I mean, you see that these really good pitchers don't have as much control as you think they do, and over how many home runs they give up. I I hope it's instructive. I I want to believe that. Somebody is watching it in Tampa and taking notes.
0: I also want to believe that. <laughs> I'll leave, leave it up to up to people to determine if I do believe it or not, but I certainly would like to.
1: You know what I realize? Speak of people in Tampa. Why doesn't Hal Steinbrenner ever wear a suit?
0: Like he's always wearing what, like a blazer and slacks or something?
1: Yeah, Always, and I know that doesn't relate to anything, but, like, why? I mean, he's an adult. Like, I think <laughs> you got to mix in the suit. He always looks like like his mom dressed him for, like, I don't know, like the school pictures in, like, an eighth-grade boarding school.
0: That... <laughs> um, you know, Whipple, I, I can't say <laughs> that was something I ever noticed. Um, But I... I guess, um, I don't know. I don't know how.
1: <laughs> I said we're not doing anything productive this episode.
0: <laughs> I don't know how you, like, what your mental image of him is, but in my head, George Steinbrenner is wearing, like, a suit jacket and a turtleneck. Yeah, definitely. Um, or, like, slacks and, a, like, a Yankees varsity jacket. So maybe it, this is like Hal's homage to his father of like not frequently wearing suits. But honestly, you you just brought up something that I did not ever consider.
1: <laughs> that's why I'm here. That's why you keep me on the payroll for this insightful analysis.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. Um, Whipple, I have a good trivia question for you that I'm hoping you have not already scene because i did tweet it
1: okay is it related to glaber torres
0: only a little bit okay shoot since 1996 who are the top four yankees in postseason wrc plus with a minimum of 100 plate appearances
1: oh so i okay so i saw torres is one of them but i didn't know i didn't see the others glaber Um, is fourth Okay.
0: With a 127 WRC plus,
1: I can't say Arod because I think he just was not good in enough postseasons. Arod um, is sixth.
0: That 111. He's sixth.
1: Okay. Oh, Stanton has to be. He might even be first. Honestly, Stanton is
0: first. He has a 153 WRC plus and 110 postseason plate appearances as a Yankee.
1: Okay. Um. So we're looking for two and three. We're looking for
0: two and three.
1: What about Jeter? Um, mm, is that too obvious? Jeter
0: is fifth at 121, and it made a lot of people really mad when I pointed <laughs> out that Glaber Torres has a higher postseason OPS than Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill, Jorge Posada, David Justice, etc.
1: Okay, so oh my gosh, um, you
0: have she, what? What kind of hint would you want if I were to give you a hint?
1: Um, give me a hint. Uh, is it like, is it a nineties Yankee or are we looking at nineties?
0: No, neither of these players played for the Yankees in the 1990s.
1: Okay. Matsui.
0: Matsui is number three at 144 in 235 played appearances, a worthy world series MVP. I believe he also, for those who care about this kind of stuff, he has the highest batting average of any Yankee in the postseason in that span and he has the second highest on base percentage behind the only guy you haven't gotten yet
1: uh Alfonso Soriano
0: no Alfonso Soriano was a rather dreadful postseason hitter as a Yankee at a 66 WRC plus just behind Mark Teixeira at 67
1: all right let me take one more crack at it um
0: this player Shoot. won an MVP,
1: like a real MVP. What do you or mean? Or a World se- like a postseason MVP or a oh, real
0: MVP? Oh, he he won he won a real MVP.
1: Oh my God, uh, Jason Giambi. Jason
0: Giambi, the All top right. four Yankees in postseason WRC plus since 1996 are Giancarlo Stanton at 153, Jason Giambi at 149, Hideki Matsui at 144. And Glaber Torres at 127.
1: The Stanton thing gets people so mad because I.
0: It gets people so. I, mad.
1: I have been in conversations with people who also might have a birthday this week.
0: Um, <laughs> who like. I wonder who you could be talking. Who about. like
1: this is like the third time I've done this, but I don't think she listens to every episode anymore. So I think I'm safe. <laughs> we're like we're arguing about Stanton, and clearly, clearly she does. You know, is not believing how good he's been in the postseason because like I I, I don't know I mean like you can argue <laughs> about Stanton but like you can't dispute that I mean come on and I think a lot of it yeah. comes from 2020 like not that he hasn't been good in the other ones but I think people just generally like don't acknowledge 2020 yeah, but they like dismiss 20 I mean come on that ALDS was insane he was
0: ridiculous yeah Whipple uh do you know what other stat on this list would make people really mad. What? Aaron Hicks has a higher postseason WRC plus than Tino Martinez and Scott Brosius as a Yankee and Brett Gardner. That that's crazy. People would not like that. Whipple, I think with that we can wrap up season three of Yankees Files, the the twenty twenty three baseball season, and when we. Speak next in a recorded format, unless you're, like, taking a deposition of mine sometime <laughs> soon, which I don't think you're allowed to. Not yet. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's coming. <so> <laughs> uh, the next time we speak in a recorded format, it will be season four will be on to the 2024 Yankees. So I just want to throw it to you for any parting shots, words of wisdom, just anything you want to get out there as we put a bow on the 2023 Yankees season.
1: Yeah. um, Well, I mean, it's crazy that we're hitting season four soon. Mm -hmm. I think this has been the most interesting season because I think it's been hard to really nail down the clear narrative besides like the team just really fell off midway and didn't recover. And I think in terms of like episode to episode, it really became tough to focus on, you know, what, was kind of like the big picture and especially for the last few months and I think honestly it made it the maybe not the most rewarding but I think it made me appreciate like why we do this and like getting on every week and talking just not for you know there's 10 games left in the season they're in a pennant race or Aaron Judge is chasing 62 home runs I think we got to dive Mm -hmm. in a little bit about like what you know what makes a team tick what kind of like was happening on a game to game basis. Just do some things like we wouldn't otherwise do. And I think most importantly, like just remember like why we do this and like, remember how cool it is that, you know, two and a half years ago, we were not doing this. And now we have almost three years of recorded content, um, which probably would have happened anyway, but in an unrecorded format. So (laughs) I'm glad that we've recorded it. I'm glad people get to listen. I'm really appreciative of everything that you do to keep this podcast going. I, as I said, you're the heart and soul. So this would not, this would not be possible without you. I'm just glad to get to to hop on and, you know, share some time and and talk to you every week. I think it's been really fun and I I don't see us going anywhere anytime soon. Um, I think this team is entering a really interesting winter and I'm excited to get to cover it with you. But yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to you. Thank you to everyone who's listening and Thank you, the fans, as Melky Cabrera once (laughs) said. Um, It's been, I'll close with saying, of all the seasons of Yankees Files we've had, it's been one of them.
0: (laughs) It's definitely been one of the seasons. Well, Whipple, thank you. You know, right back at you. I, as we've discussed more than once on this podcast, um, you know, I obviously had you in mind when I started up the Yankees Files thing, and I'm very glad to see, What it's grown into. And I, of course, have a great time every week when we get to chat and document the conversations about the Yankees that, as you said, we'd be having anyway. I think, you know, we'd be remiss and it would be terrible if we were remiss if we didn't thank the fans as you did. Um, You know, everyone who listens to us, supports us, engages with us, follows us on Twitter, DMs us whatever it is. Um, we really appreciate all of you. I think there are there are more of you than maybe not we ever imagined, but certainly more of you today than I thought there would be a year ago or six months ago. So that's pretty cool. I'd like to thank uh, the various guests we had on this year, from your parents, to my dad, to Ryan Garcia, to Matt Harris, and I'm sure I'm forgetting people, but thank you to everyone who we had. Join us on the podcast this year. And I'm I'm excited for what 2024 and this winter are going to bring to us. I think, as you said, it's an exciting time to be following this team. And hopefully, you know, they, they give us a better season next year. But um, I, I think we're definitely in for... An interesting winter. Yeah. That's it for me.
1: That's it for me as well.
0: All right. So as people know, you can follow us at yankeesfiles.com. They can follow us on Twitter. where We're at Yankees Files. And they can even follow us on TikTok. where We're at Yankees Files Podcast. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And we hope that you'll rate, review, and subscribe if you like it. And just subscribe and like. download the episode, listen to it on silent a bunch of times to help us out if you don't like it. Whipple, I don't know what we'll quite do about the schedule in the off-season. The programming gets a bit more sporadic. Generally, we write a little bit more. We love the off-season entrance survey. So, you know, people, keep your eyes peeled on Twitter. We'll absolutely be letting you know when and where to find us when there is content coming out. And... With that, that's it for season three of Yankees Files. Can't wait for season four. And until then, let's go Yankees.